Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. How many of you have ever said this? I think the Lord spoke to me. I think it was the Lord, but I'm not sure. I have. I've said that plenty of times. And when we think it's the word of the Lord, then we act. But then God is going to, he is going to confirm to us so that we then know it was the word of the Lord. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Jeremiah chapters 31 through 35. Now here's Pastor Brian. Whenever the Bible speaks of the children of Israel, It's always speaking of the Jewish people in their ethnicity. When you have the reference to the 12 tribes of Israel and 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribes of Israel always mean the same thing. They always mean the Jewish people. It's never used figuratively or mystically or in some way to refer to the church. Never. So... If you, if you take these passages at face value, which I think we should, and we interpret them the way the apostles interpreted Old Testament prophecy. You see, the apostles, they read Isaiah, for example, and they read Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. They read Uh, Psalm 22, they divided his garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. They read that and they, they believed that it was literally fulfilled in Jesus. That's how they understood what Isaiah was saying. They understood it to mean that it would actually happen and it did happen. And so that shows us how we are to interpret the Old Testament. Unless otherwise indicated, we just need to take it at face value. So, for example, when it said that you, Bethlehem, though you're little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come the one to be the ruler in Israel, they took that to mean Bethlehem, literally. They didn't take it to mean some other place that was sort of being spoken of in code or something like that. They understood it to be literal, so they were looking to Bethlehem as the birthplace of Messiah. And so you take that same idea and that same method and you apply it to the future prophecies. If that's how the prophecies that have already been fulfilled, if that's how they work themselves out, and if that's how the New Testament writers understood them, then when we look at these passages, we should, we should approach it in the same way. When it says the children of Israel, as it does here, when it speaks of the fact that You know, if heaven can be measured, the foundation of the earth searched out, talking about casting away Israel, it should just be understood exactly how it sounds. God is saying, I will never ultimately break my covenant with these people and I will restore them because that's what the majority of the prophets are about. It's about the coming judgments, but the prophets are always ultimately about the future glory. And that's what we see here with Jeremiah as well. 
And so let's jump into chapter 32 because, wow, we've only got a few minutes left and we got through one whole chapter. That's amazing. <laughs> so, so, but we, I, I, we can actually do this maybe. At least through 33, we'll get through 33. But 34 and 35 are quick, so. But 32, Jeremiah. So here's what we have in chapter 32. Jeremiah is instructed to buy a field. And then Jeremiah, we have a prayer and a praise uh, regarding God's promise to regather Israel. So, so just really quickly, let's just look at the situation with, with Jeremiah and his instruction to buy this field. So verse six, Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle will come to you saying, buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. This is the thing I wanted you to see. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Verse 11, so I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was open. And I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court prison. So the thing I just wanted to see real quick is, so Jeremiah starts and he says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, and then he tells us what the word of the Lord said. And then he tells us that it happened. And then he tells us, then I knew that it was the word of the Lord. So that's an interesting thing. And I bring it up because this is a kind of experience that we will have sometimes as well. So the word of the Lord will come to us. At least we think it's the word of the Lord. And then something will happen that will confirm that word. And then we will not just think it was the word of the Lord. Then we will know. It was a word from the Lord. And that that same way that Jeremiah experienced that is sometimes the way we experience that today. I mean, how many of you have ever said this? I think the Lord spoke to me. (laughs) I think the Lord spoke to me. I I think it was the Lord, but but I'm not sure. I have. I've said that plenty of times. And when we think it's the word of the Lord, then we act, but then God is going to, he is going to confirm to us so that we then know it was the word of the Lord. You're going to have some need to exercise faith because it's not going to be 100% certain. But as you take those steps of faith, God will confirm it. And then like Jeremiah, you can say, then I knew it was the word of the Lord. So now there's a great prayer here in verses 17 down through 19. Let me just read it real quick. He says, all Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing 
too hard for you. That's good. Remember that. Nothing too hard for the Lord. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, you are great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. You have set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day and in Israel and among other people, and you have made yourself a name as it is this day. Something just to think about, something to meditate on. Those, that's great description of the Lord there. Now, the remainder of the, the 32nd chapter, once again, God is speaking about restoring the people, bringing them back because of the covenant. And it's similar to other things that we have already read. Verse 40, I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. So once again, that's the promise of God. But notice this really quick, that I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. So this is one of the features of the new covenant. It's permanent. See, God says, I'm going to put my law in their hearts and in their minds, and they're not going to depart from me. So if you have come into a relationship with Christ, you have entered into the new covenant, and God has put his law in your heart and mind, and you're not going to depart from him. In other words, you're going to make it. You're saved, and you're going to be saved all the way through. That's part of the promise of the new covenant. You might wander, you might drift, you might backslide even. But God, he reels us in. He pulls us back. He brings us home from that wandering because he's committed to doing that. Now, chapter 33 Jeremiah says, moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time when he was shut up in prison. So here we have God's invitation to call upon him. We have the promise to David. And once again, the um, unbreakable covenant with Israel. Those are the three main things that chapter 33 talks about. So Jeremiah is a second time he's shut up in prison He's shut up in prison, and the word of the Lord comes to him a second time, saying, Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it, to establish it, the Lord is his name. Listen to what he says. Call to me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Jeremiah, he's there in prison. He's still in prison. Now, remember, we talked about how Jeremiah is not in chronological order. So Jeremiah is just, you know, talking about events that happened. And, and then rather than following a chronological order, then this happened and then that happened and then that happened. He will tell you one thing and then he'll jump back years. We're going to see that in a moment because he goes from talking about things going on in the reign of Zedekiah. And then in the next chapter, he's talking about things happening in the reign of Jehoiakim, which preceded the reign of Zedekiah. 
And so here, Jeremiah is describing something that happened to him while he was in the prison. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. That is an invitation from God to call upon him. And that was an invitation to Jeremiah at the time. And I take this as an invitation to us today. And I can think in my mind right now, I can visualize a moment where I was reading this passage and it was so powerfully speaking to me. It was so applicable to my situation. I was in a prison, so to speak, and I desperately needed to hear a word from the Lord. And it was one of those times, call on me and I will answer you. And many a saint has been greatly blessed and encouraged through this invitation. So if you find yourself in a prison of whatever sort it might be, Call on the Lord. He will answer. Don't harden your heart. Don't be deceived into thinking God's abandoned you because you're in a prison. Just call on him and he will answer. That's his promise. And show you great and mighty things. Now, once again here in this chapter, we have... um, a reiteration of the covenant. Look at verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days at that time, I will grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. So this is the messianic promise. Remember, David is the, the promise was to David that of your seed. So here, when we talk about David in Jeremiah here, we're talking about Jesus. He's the branch of righteousness that will grow up. In those days, Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she shall be called. Now, this is very similar to chapter 23. Chapter 23 describes the Messiah, the branch, and says, and this is the name by which he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. Here, It's the same thing, except it's applied not to the Messiah, but it's applied to Jerusalem. She shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Now, remember earlier on in Jeremiah, we read about how um, Jeconiah was cursed and none of his descendants would ever again sit upon the throne of David and prosper, reigning over Israel. But now here the Lord is promising that David is never going to lack a man to sit upon his throne, nor shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me, to kindle grain offerings, and to sacrifice continually. So what he's describing here is the king, the Messiah, on the throne, and the priest ministering, But that's in the future. And you see, this is where the people who think that Israel has been set aside and replaced by the church, this is one of the reasons why they think that, because they say, you know, 
how could it literally be the case that there is going to be a priesthood and sacrifices in the future when Jesus already paid the ultimate sacrifice for sin? And it's a good question. And it is a little bit of a dilemma. How do you solve that? Well, I think the dilemma is solved this way, that those sacrifices that will be offered in the future are not to take away sin, but the previous sacrifices could never take away sin. Hebrews tells us that. Hebrews says the blood of goats could never take away sin. But what did the blood that was shed in those uh, sacrifices during the Old Testament period, what did it speak of? It spoke of the future coming one who would take away our sin. And ever since he came, we, through the bread and the cup, we are reminded of the sacrifice that he made. But you see, when Israel is brought back into the covenant, after 2,000 years of history have passed, the sacrificial system is going to be a reminder to them. It's not gonna take away anybody's sin because there's no need for that. But it will be a reminder to them of the sacrifice that the king made for them. As they see him, they're reigning upon his throne. He is the one who actually was the sacrifice as well. So I think that you can solve the dilemma without spiritualizing the text and saying that it can't be literal about a future for Israel. And so once again, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with night so that there will not be day or night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with my servant David so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne and with the Levites and the priests, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered nor the sand of the sea measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister to me. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, have you not considered what these people have spoken saying, and this is something that we have heard many times over, not simply from covenant theologians, but we've heard this from Uh, a lot of people, the surrounding nations, the two families which the Lord had chosen, Israel and Judah. He has also cast them off. Thus they have despised my people as if they should no more be a nation before them. So this is like the word of the surrounding nations. Surrounding nations are saying, Israel's over. They have no future. They have no history. Now, not a single nation surrounding Israel acknowledged their right to exist. And that has all changed. Suddenly, some of the countries are now wanting not to just have a peace treaty with Israel, but they're wanting to actually have relations with them. And now they are willing to grant them that they should indeed be in the place that they are and we should all get along together. But many still, and for many, many decades, have said, basically, God's done with these people. They have no more future here. They have no right to the land or anything like that. But look what the Lord is saying about those who say that. He says, they despise my people as if they should be no more nation before them. Thus says the Lord, if my covenant is not with day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, 
Then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant, so that I will not take any of his descendants to be rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for I will cause their captives to return and I will have mercy on them. So once again, the same thing. If, you know, if sun, moon, the stars, you know, if if all that vanishes, then yes, my covenant with Israel will break. But point being, that is never going to happen. So God's covenant is never going to be broken. Now, so chapter 34, it's a word that comes to Zedekiah. And, you know, Zedekiah is the last king before Nebuchadnezzar completely destroys Jerusalem. And Zedekiah, God gives him all of these opportunities to repent. And he makes gestures toward, like, he, it looks like he's repenting, but he doesn't repent. And in this case, Jeremiah comes to Zedekiah and tells him, look, Nebuchadnezzar is coming. And, you know, if your heart's right with God, you're going to see Nebuchadnezzar face to face. He's going to treat you kindly. You're going to be led away to captivity, but you're, you're going to be okay. And you need to turn to the Lord. And so Zedekiah and the people around him, they say, okay, that sounds right. And so what they do is they have enslaved their Hebrew brothers for several years. And one of the ways to show the repentance is to free their brothers that they have kept enslaved. And so they do that, but then shortly after they regret it. Dang, what did we do? We let them go. Why did we do that? So they change their mind. They say, oh, no, no, come on back. And they bring everybody back into captivity again. And then the, the prophet comes back to Zedekiah and says, you know, why did you do that? And then he basically pronounces a judgment on him. I told you that Nebuchadnezzar would treat you kindly and so forth, but because your heart is still in rebellion to the Lord, I'm paraphrasing all this, but this is basically what's going on. Because you're still in rebellion to the Lord, you're going to, the city's going to be destroyed and you're going to be led away in a severe captivity. And that, of course, is what happened. And so that's pretty much the 34th chapter there. And then the 35th chapter is a story of a group of men, brothers, known as the Rechabites. And the Rechabites are the son, the grandson of a man named Rechab. Uh, But their father is a man named Jonadab. And Jonadab said to his sons, I don't want you to drink any wine. They were going to be kind of like Nazarites. They, They were not to drink any fruit of the vine, but they were not to settle in any place. They were to live in tents. They were basically making a statement that they were pilgrims. And they were genuinely following the Lord. So the Lord says to Jeremiah, go to the Rechabites, take them into the temple and pour them some cups of wine and ask them to drink. And so Jeremiah does it. And they say, "Uh, we can't drink it. And they say, we can't drink it because our father, Jonadab, told us not to. And we're going to obey our father. And so the Lord says, okay, well, that's interesting. So the Rechabites... They are obedient to the voice of their dad. How come you, nation of Israel, are not obedient to me like they are, to their father? And so he uses their you know, commitment to their father as a way of illustrating the disobedience of the nation and once again expressing reasons why the judgment is coming. So that is the 35th chapter in a nutshell.
For the month of October, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian. With all the chaos, unrest, and uncertainty in our world, behind it all is the unseen realm where a spiritual battle is being waged. And this spiritual battle not only affects the world collectively, but even our lives individually. This month's book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, will give you an understanding of the battle that is raging behind the scenes. You will understand the enemy who is waging war against you, his tactics, and how you can be equipped to emerge victorious. As people of God, we must be aware of the spiritual battle we're all involved in, the sophisticated ways in which we're constantly being attacked, and the provision for victory we have in Jesus. If you want to be equipped for the spiritual battle we're engaged in, or to be able to help others become equipped, we encourage you to call us right now at one 800 733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.